Good morning. As some of you guys can tell, I am not Alex, as the program says. But my name's Ricardo. Um, I'm one of the leaders here who's been serving in this time, and you guys have me for one more week, and then Alex will be back next week. But for now, you guys have me. Um, so welcome, first of all, welcome to anyone who's here for the first time, second or third time. Um, please feel free to introduce yourself to someone after the service. Shake a hand. We'll love to get to know you more, love to tell you more about our church, what we believe, our missions, our values. So please feel free to, to stop someone that you see, someone that's been up here or whoever, and just introduce yourselves. We'll love to get to know you and meet you and just just talk a little bit. We've all... We've all been on school field trips. We've all been in school, and we've gone on trips where um, our teachers often say, you are representing your school, so make good choices. Don't embarrass us. Or sometimes we may even say that as parents as we go out with our, with our kids. Be on your best behavior because you are representing me out there. That When people look at you, they, they, they see me. And so we have this idea all throughout our, our lives that, that, that we oftentimes don't only represent ourselves when we go out into the world, but that we represent other, other things, whether it's a school, whether it's our parents, whether, whether it's our country, if you're overseas, or, or if people just look at you, they can tell that, that you're, you're from a different ethnicity. And so you represent all these different things when we're out and about in the world. So we come to a passage here in Philippians where, where, where Paul is telling the Philippian church that, that they are to conduct themselves in a manner because, because they are representing, in essence, Christ and, and the gospel of Jesus Christ when they're out. So we're going to be talking about that, about what it means to live as, as citizens of heaven and what it means to live worthy of the gospel and represent the gospel of Jesus Christ no matter where we go, no matter where we're at, whether we're in the church or outside the church. So if you can turn to them. First, to Philippians 1, and we're going to finish the rest of the chapter, and then next week we'll be moving on to chapter 2, but this week we're in Philippians 1, 27 through 30, and as we've been doing lately is, if we can just stand as we read the Word of God together, I believe that's a great, great practice that the Alex had us do a couple of weeks ago, and, and I just, I love that, that sign of unity that, that, that shows when we can stand and read the Word of God together. We'll try, I'll start us off, and then if you guys can just continue reading, I think that would be great. Um, so we're in, like I said, Philippians 1, 27 through 30. We'll try this out. We'll see how it goes. Only let your manner of life be worthy. Thank you. Let's pray. Father God, we, 
We humble ourselves before your throne, Lord. We come and we bow before your throne of mercy and before your throne of grace, Lord. And we ask that you be with us today on this Sunday, Lord, as, as we open up your word, Father God, as we spend the next several moments looking into what you have us received, Lord, what you're saying to us, what you're speaking to us through this, Lord. So we thank you for, for, for this room. We thank you for the chairs that we have, Lord. We thank you for, for that we're able to get out of, this, out of outside of the elements, Lord, and just be here and just work worship you and sing praise to you father god and we ask that you be with us as we open up your word lord that you that you reach us where you want us to reach us lord that you convict us in the areas that we need convicting lord that you challenge us that that we grow that we don't leave here today the same person that we walked in but that we've grown even if just a little bit lord in in the understanding of your love and we grow in the understanding of your mercy and grace lord so we thank you ask that you be here with us lord that you eliminate any distractions that we may have lord that we're able to just spend the next several moments just listening to what you have us received lord use me as, as a vessel father god that, that when i'm speaking lord that is your words that are coming out lord that i don't speak anything that you don't want me to be to not speak father god so we ask that you be here be with us lord may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart to be edifying lord in your name we pray amen So we see, as we finish for, um, the first chapter in Philippians here, at this exhortation that, that Paul says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. And so if I had to say one main idea that I have for, in my sermon today, it's this idea that, that Christians are called to live a life that's worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so what does that mean? What does it mean to, to, to live worthy of the gospel? And I hope to, um, my goal is to just break that down a bit and that we leave encouraged and we leave today looking to live our lives even more, more and more worthy and more and, and more together with, with Christ. And so we see right off the bat, let your manner of life be worthy, or as the NASB says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Or as another translation puts it, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so what we're seeing is, is that we are called to live a certain way. That, that our life is to look a certain way as Christians. We, we are to live a certain way that ultimately brings glory, that brings praise to God. We see that this, this word, manner of life, is, it can be translated as behave as citizens worthy of the gospel, as one commentary puts it. And it's because in the Greek, uh, I'm probably will butcher this, I can't pronounce it too well, but polytheistu, yeah, I butchered that. This idea that, um, as it says, it's the same word that Paul uses in Philippians 3.20 when he calls us to, but your citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we are to live the idea here is that we are to live as citizens, not of our country, not, not of anything else, but as citizens of heaven, that our first, that we first and foremost belong, that we are citizens of, of heaven, and that we should live according to that calling, according that, that we identify ourselves first and foremost as Christians, as 
followers of Christ, not as Americans, not as, as, as what our ethnicities may say, that we identify ourselves as citizens, as belonging first and foremost to heaven, to the Lord God, to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And that that's how we're supposed to conduct ourselves, that we identify with that first and foremost, that above anything else, we are followers of Christ, and that's how we are to conduct ourselves within the church and outside the church. That we are first and foremost citizens of heaven. That we belong to Christ. He goes on to say, live a life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And it's not this idea that, that, we, that you're worthy of something, that you deserve the gospel of Christ. Because we know, as we read our Bibles, that we don't deserve the love. We don't deserve the grace that's been given to us. That we haven't earned anything. And so what, what, what does Paul mean by saying worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ? It points us back to to Matthew 10, 37 through 38, where, where Paul is talking, where, where, I'm sorry, where Jesus is talking to, to the disciples and, and telling them that they are to have it here. It says, whoever loves a father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And, and what Jesus is saying here, he's not saying that we aren't to love our mother and fathers, that we're not to love our, our sons and daughters, but he's saying, whoever loves them more than me. And what Jesus is getting at is that he should be our utmost importance. That to follow, to live a life that's worthy of the gospel is to put the gospel of Jesus Christ above everything else. In our lives, it's put it above your parents, to put it above your children, is to see that Jesus is of greater worth than everything else in our lives. That's what it means to live live in a manner that's worthy of the gospel. It's to show that the very utmost first important thing to us is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that everything else takes a back seat to that calling. That we are to live according to this. That we are to point to Christ and Christ alone. And we are to bring glory to his name. That we are to show that he is of utmost importance to us. That first and foremost, we, we are followers of Christ above everything else. Christians are called to live a life that puts Christ above everything else. Above our jobs, above our schooling, above our families, above our relationships. That Christ sits above all that. And that is how we are to conduct ourselves. That's how, that's how we are called to live our life. That people must know that the most valuable thing to you and that the most important aspect of your life is the gospel of Jesus Christ and nothing else. And so there's, there's several ways that, that we, can, we can do that. But I believe Paul, in, in the rest of these, these verses and these passages, he's pointing us to four ways that the Philippian church should live this out. To live this calling to be worthy of the gospel. I believe Paul is pointing out four things in these passages that we are, we are to do this by. The first is we are to live worthy of the gospel. To live worthy of the gospel is to live in unity with one another and stand together. We see this as he goes on in 27. 
He says, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind. That they are to stand together, take almost, in essence, this defensive posture, just stand together as one body, as one church, in one spirit and in with one mind. That Paul is saying to live worthy of the gospel, to place the gospel above everything else in your life, is to be united with your brothers and sisters in Christ. To stand together, to defend the gospel, to make sure that you walk hand in hand and that you are united as one. He says to stand with, with one spirit and with one mind. And as, as I was studying these, these passages this week, um. Some, some commentaries say that what Paul's talking about when he says one spirit, he's speaking about, about the Holy Spirit. So standing together in one truth on the truth of the gospel of Christ, on the truth of the, of the Bible. But then all, other commentaries noted that this is just a capital S, and it's not the same that we see that this is just a lowercase s. That when Paul talks about the Holy Spirit, he's talk, he uses a, a capital S, as we'll see in, in 2.1, where he says... Um, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, capital S, any affection, any sympathy. And so what we see here is, is that I believe that in context, Paul, Paul's pointing to both here, that we are to be united on the truths of the Bible, on the truths of, that, of what it teaches, but also just be, be united in our spirit or in it with our mind. Or that could also be translated with, with soul. To be, to be united, to stand together in one spirit and in one soul. That to the core, to who we are as a church, we are to be united in, in spirit and soul. That at the core of us, we have to remain united as one body of Christ. So how do we keep unity in the church? How do we remain united? How do we stand together in times of difficulty? Because what happens is whenever you have more than one person, division will creep in, no matter what. But Paul is calling us to live, to stand together. If we are to live according, worthy of the gospel, we are to be united as one body. He gives us a hint of this in Philippians 2, 3 to 4, where he says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you who look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. In order to be united, in order to keep unity in the church, we have to be willing to, to forego our own interests. That we are able to, we should be able to lift other people above ourselves. That, we, that in order for us to remain united, we have to get rid of any selfish desires, any selfish needs that, that we may have. That, that the division creeps into the church when people start seeking out their own interests. When they, when they have their own personal preferences and they want those other over the preferences of other people. When we think we may have all the right answers, when we may not even agree with some decisions, so we think we have a better solution. And so we, we let our self-interest sneak into our lives and sneak into, into the church, and that's what causes division within the church. 
when we stop seeing people the way that Christ sees them and we start placing our own desires, our own interests over the interests of other people and over the gospel of Christ, that is when we allow for division and strife to enter the church. When there is no humility or there is no compromise is when we have division within the church. And we see that in order to live worthy of the gospel is to humble ourselves for the sake of unity, for the sake of standing together as one body and one spirit in mind. We are to humble ourselves and compromise for the sake of the gospel. And we see that this has always been Paul's desire throughout throughout his letters. He's always speaking to, to, to remain, to keeping unity within the church. In 1 Corinthians 1.10, when people are saying, I follow Paul, or, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind, in the same judgment. He said, I appeal to you, brothers, to please stay, to get rid of any divisions, and be in agreement, to have unity amongst yourselves. In Philippians 2, 2, Paul says, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Paul's desire for the church is for there to be unity within the church. In Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, Paul says, Therefore, a pr- I, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Living, living worthy of the gospel means to live in unity and to stand with one another and to, and to work with one another. In order for us to to live in unity, we have to to love one another and forgive one another when we feel like we've been wrong. We need to step out and seek forgiveness when we've wronged other people. Paul in Colossians 3, 13-14 says, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Or as the NASB says, in per- which is the love, which is the perfect bond of unity. So we're called as a church, as a body, to remain united in one. And that's, sometimes that's difficult. But we have to humble ourselves before the gospel of Christ and before one another and, and love on one another and see the best in other people and not put our own interests above others and, and forgive when we are called to forgive because we have been forgiven. In order for us to live worthy of the gospel, we have to live in unity with one another. I'm not saying we compromise on the truths of the Bible, but, but, but we live in, in harmony with one another. That, that, that if, if there is nothing blasphemous, there's nothing, if there's no heresy, 
or if no one is living in, in, in great sin, then we are to live in unity with one another. To be united as one body. That's what it means to live worthy of the gospel. Second, the second point is to live worthy of the gospel is to labor on its behalf. We see this at the, at the end of 27 where he says, Striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That same word that, that, that is translated there, striving side by side, Paul uses in, in Philippians 4, 3, and when he says, Yes, I, also, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. That for us to strive side by side means we must be working with one another. That we, that we labor, that we work for the advancement of the gospel of Christ. That we put aside any, any division that we may have, but that we work together for the advancement of the gospel. I believe this is a very active word. That it can also be tra- translated to fight or work on the side of others. You know, first to point out here that, that he says, striving side by side, that we we don't work on things on our own. When we work, we work together as a body of Christ, striving side by side for for the faith of the gospel. So we're called to as a body that that we're called to live worthy of the gospel means to live to work and labor with other believers. Side by side, striving, making progress, moving forward for the sake of the gospel. It's this idea that that, that we have to defend the faith and we have to preach the gospel of Christ. We we have to be moving forward as one body, that that to to live worthy, to show people that, that the gospel is our utmost importance to us, is to work on its behalf, it's to share the gospel of Christ, it's to be the love of God, the love of Jesus here on earth, that we are an extension of that, and we do that as a body of Christ, that we are to work together. To see people come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. This is one, you know, one of the best ways to, to, to gather people, to bring people together, is, is to give them a common goal, a common mission, to work out and to see people come to Christ and give them this goal. So we're coming to the season in, in, in our church where we have things that are going to be going on that we can come together side by side in prayer and in sometimes even physical labor to see the gospel advance, to see the gospel move forward. We have the Easter egg hunt coming up next month that we can come around as a church body and work together to see people come here and to preach the gospel and to see people saved. And then after that, we're going to have, like we always have, the Family Fun Day and VBS. And these are opportunities that us that we can come together as one body and work and labor for the sake of the gospel. That we are to put aside any differences we may have, any preferences we may have, and that we are to labor with one another for the sake of the gospel. To live a life worthy of the gospel is to labor on its behalf, is to do work to see it advance. 
that we do we could do this together. We should be doing this together. My third point. To live life to live a life worthy of the gospel is to live in confidence of the of the promises of God. In verse 28, Paul says, And not frightening anything by your opponents, this is a clear sign to them that their destruction, of their destruction, but of your salvation in that from God. That as believers, we're, we're, not, to, 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 we're not to be scared, we're not to be frightened, we're not to, to be timid, timid when we go out to the world. That we have the promises of God, as we've saying all this morning, that, that, that God makes these promises with us, and we are to live in, in full confidence in that, that God is who he says he is. That God is working things out on your behalf. That God is the sovereign God who is in control and who knows what's going to happen, who knows the end. We live in confidence. Confidence that Christ has won the war. That even though we may struggle here, that we may have hard times here, that we may not be able to see the ending, but, but, but we, uh, we know that Christ has won the war already for our behalf. And we are to live in confidence of that. We are to believe that. We are to live that out every day. We have confidence because, because of what Paul tells us in, in, in Philippians 1. One six, and I'm sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We live in confidence because we know that that, that God is still at work. That he will, as Paul says, bring it to completion. The work that he began in us, the work that started in us when we first came to the saving faith in Christ Jesus, that work that we've been on, this journey, that it will come to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. We, we live according to that confidence. To, li- to live a life that's worthy of the gospel is to walk in that, to understand that what Christ, what God said he will do, it, he will do it. We live in confidence of what God has done, what he is currently doing in our lives, and what he will do. That Christ is working in us. And we have God's promises to stand on. We have, we've seen God work things out for his good all throughout this book. And that God is still working that way. We live in confidence because we know the God we served. We're not called to live in fear. We're not called to to be frightened by what the world can do to us. Because we know the God we serve. And that even though things happen to us, even though we struggle and it feels like times get really difficult and we may have hard times paying the rent, or we may have hard times at work, or, or we may have hard times in, in our relationships, we understand we will stay, that God will stay true to his promises. That he has, as it says in Romans, that he's worked things out for the good of those who he's called. And we live according to that. We're not to be frightened. We are to live in confidence because of the promises of God. As he says in Deuteronomy 31.6, Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. 
We're called to live a life that's in full confidence because God will not forsake you. He will be there with you through it all. Isaiah 41 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous hand. This idea that that no matter how difficult life may get, no matter what the enemy may throw your way, that God will uphold you with his righteous hand. We live in full confidence that God is a merciful and he is a gracious God. God will be faithful to his children. That, 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 as Lamentations 3, 22 to 23 says, that we have new mercies every morning. That no matter what we go through in life, no matter how difficult it may be, the mercies of God are new every morning. They've been extended to you. And we live according to that truth. Not to the truth that, that others may tell us. Not to what the world tells us, but to what the Bible, to what God tells us through his word. That he is with us. That he will uphold us with his righteous hand. And that his, that his mercies are new every day. We live, we live according to that. Not according to anything else that may be going on. We have to understand that God will be faithful to his promises. So we have to understand what the promises of God are. What God tells us. Lastly, to live a life worthy of the gospel is to suffer for the gospel. See this in 29 and 30. For it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. The same way that... What we see here is that it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. The same way that the faith that we have, that the grace that we receive is all a gift from God. What Paul is saying here is that suffering for Christ is also a gift from God. It's been granted to you, or as the King James says, it has been given to you. By God, to suffer for the sake of the gospel. That we as Christians should expect to go through some hard times in life. That we should expect to suffer. And that it would be a privilege to suffer for the sake of the gospel. I'm reminded of what, of the Beatitudes and, and what, 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 what Jesus says about, about suffering. He's Blessed, Matthew 5.10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. 
when we suffer for the sake of the gospel, the kingdom of heaven is ours, is what, what, Jesus, what, what Jesus is saying here. We look at, at, at Acts 5.41, when the apostles were, were done with the council of, of the Sahedrians, and they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. This idea that the apostles rejoiced at the fact that they were given the privilege to suffer for Christ's name. As we went through James 1, 2, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet your trials of various kinds. We are to embrace suffering. We are to see that suffering for the sake of the gospel is a gift from God. Just like everything else we receive, our faith, the mercy that we receive, the grace that we received, it's all a gift from God. So why is suffering a gift from God? So we understand that God can work through our suffering. That God can, can work in us and, 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 and in us suffering. God can do work in other people as well. Oftentimes, our response to suffering can bring glory to God. That when we suffer and, and we embrace the suffering and, and we don't complain and we don't grumble, but we hold strong to our faith in Christ Jesus, that that can be an encouragement to other people. That other people can see that, that, that your love of the gospel, that you put the gospel above everything else in your life by the way you handle the suffering in your life. It's hard to see suffering as a gift. Because oftentimes we don't see how it works for us. We don't see how it benefits us. And so responding well to suffering can show the world how valuable Christ is to us. We can live that out. Suffering is a gift from God because of what God does through suffering. God, oftentimes, it's in our suffering, it's in those times where, where we don't know what we're going to do, but we're hurting and we're in so much pain that God draws us closer to Him. And that in through our suffering, we, we, we lead to repent before God, and we lead to repent of our sins, and we draw closer to God in that repentance. Oftentimes, suffering leads to Repentance. One of the hardest times of my life, one of the times that I've suffered the most in my life was in my second year of college where, where you know, that first year of college is great. You meet all your friends. You make new friends. You, you, ha you have all these friends in the new dorm, and, and you get together, and it's a great year. But then that second year comes around, and everyone goes their separate ways. Everyone starts taking classes in their majors. People are living in different parts, parts of, of, of campus. And for me, I, I, had, I, had, I had planned to live with one of my best friends. We were, we were to room together. We, we grew so much during our first year. And two weeks before the start of the semester, he, he had to move off campus for financial reasons. And I went through that year, home, sick of home. I was homesick, and I had no one to go through that, that I spent so many hours alone in my dorm rooms 
crying, suffering, going through a lot of pain. And it's at this time that God drew closer to me, that I, that I learned to, to, to draw closer to God, that I learned to just count on God for everything. That I, that I learned to, to read my Bible more and to see that God was with me no matter what. And it's through our suffering that we draw close to God. And therefore, that is why it's a gift from God. We see that we are, when we suffer, it makes us more aware of our need for the Savior. That we can go through life, and as long as life is good, we may not think much. We may still pray, we may still read our word, but when we are suffering, we we are more aware of our need for Jesus. And we cry out more to, to him. Paul in Romans 5, 3-5 says, Not, But rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We, when we suffer, it produces endurance. It does things in us that we, we grow in, in, in our relationship with Christ. We grow in our understanding of, of who Christ is. We learn to trust him more through our suffering because it produces, care, it produces endurance, which produces character, which produces hope. Or James continues in, in James 1, 3-4. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet your trials of various kinds. For you know that testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Or as some translation says, produces endurance. And let endurance have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. This idea that... that that in our perseverance, and in, 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 in when we endure suffering, that something is going on, that, that there's work being done in our hearts that we may not understand, but it's the, the work of Christ in our hearts through our endurance, through our perseverance, that draws us closer to him. James goes on in, 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 in twelve, in verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which, has, which God has promised to those who love him. Our suffering is a gift from God. And we are to live worthy of the gospel is to embrace the suffering that God has given us. Because it's through that suffering that God works, that God brings us closer to him, that God could lead to greater unity with, with other people. In closing, we are to conduct ourselves as citizens of heaven who place the gospel of Christ above all things. And when we do that, when we, when we, when we, when we show the world that, that the gospel is the, of utmost importance to us, that this should lead to unity within the church, that it should lead us to labor for the sake of the gospel, to, pro, to proclaim, to preach the gospel of Christ. 
that living worthy of the gospel of Christ means that we live in full confidence of what Christ is doing in our hearts and what God has done already and what he will do. To live worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ is to embrace and rejoice in suffering. To understand that, that God is doing something in us that we may not understand, but that he's working us, uh, he's working, he's doing a work in us, and he's going to bring it to completion, no matter what. So we are called to live a life that's worthy of the gospel, that places the gospel above everything else in our life, above our finances, above our marriages, above our children, above our jobs, above above our schooling, whatever it may be, that, that Christ is of utmost importance to us. Let's pray. Father God, we... We come, we humble ourselves before you, Lord. We thank you for for your love and your mercy over our lives, Father God. That you've called us to live a life, to conduct ourselves, to behave as citizens of heaven, Lord. That we are to live our faith out here on this earth and we are to point to you God and that we're not alone in that Lord that when things get hard you hold our hand that when we can't feel like we can't go anymore Lord you give us the strength to keep going Lord that the, that the, that the endurance that the perseverance that we have comes from you God we thank you for that Lord we ask that you continue to work in us Lord that you continue to draw us closer to you Lord we ask that we, be, that we become a church that's united, Lord, that, that we work together and that we, we put aside our own interests and the interests of others and that we seek first the kingdom of God, Lord, that we put you above our own interests and by doing that we put others above our own interests, Father God, that we love one another, that we forgive one another, Father God. Be with us, Lord. Keep us safe. Keep us in your will, Father God. Continue to pour your grace and mercy over our lives, Father. In your son's mighty and powerful name, we pray. Amen. Stand with us as we finish with our final song. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still. took on flesh fullness
goodness of God in helpless pain, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones He came to save, till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was was laid here in the death of Christ I live there in the ground his body lay light of the world by darkness slain then bursting forth in glorious day from the grave he rose again and as he stands in victory since curse has lost its grip on me for I am his and he is mine bought with the precious blood of Christ No guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man. or calls me home here in the power of Christ I'll stand no power of hell no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. Lord God, it is through the power of Christ that we can stand firm, Lord God, no matter what life throws our way, Lord God, no matter what trials we're in, Lord God, we can live lives that are worthy of the gospel because our faith is rooted not in our feelings, not in uh, the world, not in anything, Lord God, not in things that are fleeting, but solely in you, the ever, the never-changing God, Lord God, the one that we can plant our hope in, Lord God, when life is tough, Lord God, when we want to break down, Lord God, we can run to you, Lord God. In joy, Lord God, we can run to you in all things, you get all the glory, you get all the honor, and you are our steadfastness, Lord. As we go from here, as we go to Fellowship Meal, Lord God, we pray that you would be the thing that binds us together, that binds the fellowship together, that binds our unity together, would be in truth, in love, for you first and foremost, Lord God. We pray these things in your name.